May God bless his holy word. Now Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in the hills with his two daughters, for he was afraid to live in Zoar. So he lived in a cave with his two daughters. And the firstborn said to the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man on earth to come in to us after the manner of all the earth. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. He did not know when she lay down or when she arose. The next day the firstborn said to the younger, Behold, I lay last night with my father. Let us make him drink wine tonight also. Then you go in and lie with him, so that we may preserve offspring from our father. So they made their father drink wine that night also. And the younger arose and lay with him. And he did not know when she lay down or when she arose. Thus both the daughters of Lot became pregnant by their father. The firstborn bore a son and called his name Moab. He is the father of the Moabites to this day. The younger also bore a son and called his name Ben-Ami. He is the father of the Ammonites to this day. Amen. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. Last, uh, last time, as we looked at the opening uh, of Genesis 19, we saw God's judgment, his righteous judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, it is uh, not a pleasant story, not a feel-good story at all, but it is a true story, and it's an important one for us to take to heart because God is... Uh, a righteous God, and he will judge sinners with perfect justice. And all through the scriptures, we're told that this is the reality. Eternal punishment in hell is what is coming for those who remain in their sins. And that's what every sinner deserves. That's what each of us deserves. The message of God is that he has sent his son to be our substitute and to bear his wrath in our place instead of us so that we don't have to bear it. And that is truly good news. And that good news of the gospel should be our greatest comfort in this life. It should be more comforting, far more comforting than any worldly comfort that we can seek or find in this life. The knowledge of God's full forgiveness of all our sins. The knowledge of his full acceptance of us in Christ. And the reality that we have these blessings by faith alone, in Christ alone, apart from our own works, that is good, precious, comforting news for us. 
It's also a message that has to change us. The gospel comes to us, and it has to change our lives. If you receive it, worldliness needs to go from our lives. Things that come so natural to us in this world, materialism, seeking pleasure, sensuality, immorality, any number of other things. There's so many different uh, forms of uh, wickedness and worldliness that are so common and we're so prone to uh, go to these things in our lives. We can easily get hooked by the world around us, just as we saw with Lot and his family. Uh, Sadly, they seem to be uh, very much worldly people. If we were just to go on the account of uh, Lot and the Sodom and Gomorrah incident, we might conclude that Lot um, was not a believer at all, that he was not one of God's people. Uh, if you judge this, true by, uh, this tree by its fruit, uh, it doesn't look very good. But then you come to the New Testament, and there is a reference where Peter calls Lot a righteous man. Isn't that interesting? What we see of Lot is just not very righteous but he's called a righteous man. And he tells us that Lot was very disturbed. He was greatly distressed by the wicked behavior of the people of Sodom. But here in this account, it seems like Sodom had a real grip on Lot and his heart. If he was so troubled, we don't really see that much of it here in this account. He may have been troubled in heart, but he didn't depart from Sodom until God literally had to drag him out of there with his family. But I think this is actually a very realistic picture of not only Lot, but sinners in general. Lot is a person who is conflicted. He, uh, we might call him a Uh, A good illustration of the conflict between the spirit and the flesh. And that's a conflict that all believers have. The spirit wages war against the flesh and vice versa. And we can't entirely do what we want in either direction. That's the reality for God's people, even in our day. If you want a, a rosy picture of the church and of Christians where uh, there's a perfect separation between the sin that is out there in the world and uh, in here we're just uh, sinless people who have it all together. Forget about it. That's not real. That's naive. That's unrealistic. That's unbiblical. The truth is God's people are simultaneously righteous and wretched. We're righteous and also sinners still. We could be greatly distressed by sin like Lot was, 
while still wanting to hang on to some of our sins and still being very drawn to worldliness. Well, in our passage, we see a warning. We see a a picture of the kind of terrible decline, spiritual decline that can happen if we allow ourselves to live uh, the way Lot and his family did, seemingly in love with the world and its ways. Just a short passage here. In verse 30, we're told, Lot went up out of Zoar and lived in, lived in the hills, lived in this cave with his daughters. And we're told he was afraid to live in Zoar. And that's an important thing to note. He was afraid. Fear was what was driving Lot. Fear rather than faith. And it drives him to go live in this very strange way, in this this isolated place with his daughters, away from everyone else, in a cave, no less. Now, God had originally told Lot to flee from Sodom and go to the mountains, but Lot was afraid then. He was afraid that he wouldn't be able to make it to the mountains, and so he asked Uh, the Lord, if he could be allowed to go to this town of Zoar, it was closer. And he was seemingly living by fear then as well. Instead of trusting God and just obeying what God said to do, go to the mountains, he's fearful. And fear seemed to be a a way of life for Lot. He was living by fear in that instance instead of trusting God's word. And it seems like fear was probably what led him to choose to live in Sodom in the first place. Rather than trusting God to provide for him, he wanted to settle in the area that looked the best, looked like the most likely place to Uh, bring him prosperity and riches. But this kind of thinking is uh, dangerous. If we just think in terms of what the eye sees and what we think is best, we may very well be leaving God out of the picture. He seems to have made these decisions as if there was no God. He seemed to be living by fear and not by faith in God. Abraham, of course, went the other direction, the way that didn't look nearly as good, and the Lord blessed him. Well, now that we see that he's living in fear again, he's become afraid for some reason to live in Zoar, the place he wanted to be, but he's afraid, and so he couldn't stay there. We're not told why he was afraid, no idea. The text doesn't tell us, but God even assured him that he would be safe there. But he didn't believe God. Living in fear is uh, not fun. It's not a good thing. Fear 
clouds your judgment. It leads to bad choices. And here it drove Lot to this bad choice and to live in this bad place, a place of isolation that seems to have uh, put his daughters in a very difficult uh, situation as well. Lot seems to be on a downhill spiral and he's losing everything. He's lost his beloved Sodom. He's lost his wealth, uh, probably most all of his possessions. He's lost his wife, and now he's huddled here in this hole in the mountain with his daughters. This was surely not what he expected when he settled in Sodom. He had fallen very far. One writer says, Lot's choice of Sodom has now come home to roost. But it's, it's not over yet. His decline uh, is not finished. He's got further to fall. And we see that in this passage. In verses 31 to 35, we see his daughters seem to be following in Lot's footsteps, making their own bad decisions based on fear. That seems pretty clear from what they say. Firstborn says to the younger, our father's old. There's not another man on earth who can take care of us, provide what we need. They're thinking about their provision. And so they hatch this plan to provide for themselves. Come, let us make our father drunk. and We will lie with him so that we may preserve offspring from our father. Incest. It was forbidden in that culture. This was not something that was just uh, forbidden in Israel. It was going to be uh, bad among God's people, but it was just forbidden, apparently, among uh, all the, the cultures of the ancient Near East, and even the uh, wicked Canaanites, they knew better than this. So these, these uh, young women knew this was uh, wrong, that this was horrible. But fear seems to be driving them. Uh, fear has their heads in a whirl. And it led them to this sin. What did they fear? Well, they feared for their future. In those days and in that culture, having children uh, equated to economic security, being cared for. And Lot's daughters were worried. They were fearful about their survival. And it seems Lot probably hadn't taught them how to live by faith in the Lord. He hadn't taught them to trust the Lord. He hadn't modeled that for them either. So they're living by fear, and in fear, they took matters into their own hands to try to make things okay for themselves, to try to make security for themselves. And that, that's essentially what Lot had done. He took matters into his own hands. He chose what 
uh, seemed right in his own eyes. He did what he thought would ensure security for himself the best way possible in Sodom. And that's the same thing his daughters are doing. They're just choosing what they think is going to give them the most worldly security. We can make very bad decisions when we let fear drive us to seek security or to seek comfort in this life. We tend to put our trust in created things instead of God. Anyway, that comes pretty natural, naturally for us. But that is idolatrous. And that's the thing that these girls came up with. That's the kind of plan that they hatched. Now, of course, Lot wouldn't have consented to this because he, too, knew this was a, a, a horrible uh, evil. So they had to get him drunk. And they did. And this is a warning, too, against drunkenness. Drunkenness is a sin that leads to more sins. It leads to worse sins, uh, all kinds of sins. And Lot allowed himself to get drunk here, and that opened the door to this far worse situation, uh, really a nightmare. Scripture doesn't forbid consuming alcohol, but it does condemn drunkenness for good reason. Again, it almost always leads to worse sins, more and more sinful behavior, just like we see here. It's the daughters who initiated this evil, but uh, Lot also has responsibility. He consented to getting drunk, and not once, but twice. And again, he seems to have not taught his daughters to live in godly ways. They're not living by faith. They're not living uh, very godly at all here. That's pretty obvious. By his example, he taught them to just do whatever seemed most expedient rather than to do what was right. They seem to have seen Lot Uh, turn a blind eye to uh, so many of the evils of Sodom. They just kept on living right there. He may have been disturbed in his spirit by the sins uh, around him, but he didn't do much about it, if anything. If he had spoken up or acted out in some way against uh, the sins of the people of Sodom, he probably would have jeopardized his standing in the city. He had become uh, quickly uh, an influential person of standing there. He may not have joined in their sin, but he didn't do much to separate himself from it either. This was a very, very wicked worldly place. These girls were raised in that situation. And uh, it seems it was in their hearts now. It's no wonder they made these horrible choices, these wicked choices. In essence, they're just following in their father's footsteps. But again, the 
the main sin here that led to all of this spiraling downward for Lot and for his daughters it seems to have been unbelief. He didn't live by faith in the Lord. He didn't trust the Lord for his life and for his needs. And he seemed to choose to walk by sight, as it were, and try to, try to um, secure his own needs. And that unbelief, that lack of trust in God, set him up for uh, all these other sins. Trust in God is critical for us as God's people. It is our great need. We need to live by faith in this wonderful, faithful God. We need to remember that He is faithful. He's worthy of our trust. He calls us to trust in Him with all our hearts, even when we don't understand what in the world uh, He's doing or how things are going to work out calls us to depend on him, to rely upon him, to seek him for wisdom for the choices we make in life. We need to trust in the Lord, and that will save us from many, many evils. And we see the outcome of this sin. These two daughters got their father drunk, had sex with him, and both became pregnant. Just a, another really ugly passage here in Genesis. What a horrible, horrible thing this is. The act itself is bad enough, but these two pregnancies come from it. And it gets worse. And not only were there pregnancies, but the descendants from this terrible act become the hated and hateful enemies of Israel, the Moabites and the Ammonites. These deadly enemies. And by the way, this is pretty much the end of the story for Lot. We don't really hear anything more about him anywhere in the Old Testament. It's kind of a sad, uh, shameful end to his history. His death isn't even mentioned. And you know, of course, uh, so many of the other uh, figures uh, there in the Old Testament are, uh, we're told of their, their lifespan, their death. Certainly the case with Abraham and his offspring. Lot pretty much disappears. But he definitely had a lasting legacy. Just not a good one. His legacy is the Moabites and the Ammonites, and all the terrible trouble they caused for God's people. They inhabited the land uh, east of the Dead Sea. They fought against the Israelites. The king of Moab, you may remember, he hired Balaam to curse Israel. These were not... Uh, long-lost friendly cousins or something like that. These were terrible enemies to God's people. And they later presented temptations to the Israelites to turn away from the Lord. In Numbers 25, we, uh, 
read how the people of Israel were tempted by the daughters of Moab. Uh, These women came along and they invited the people of Israel to the sacrifices of their false gods. And the Israelites went right along with it. And we're told there that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel because of that. And the Lord, the Lord judged the Israelites because of that. He sent a plague on them. And later there's uh, the temptation for the Israelites to worship the false god of the Ammonites, Molech. Molech worship involved child sacrifice. And so this was going on with the people of Israel. So these descendants of Lot, the Moabites and the Ammonites, were absolute curses to God's people, and their roots were right back here in this event, in this sin of this family. I think the point is that there are terrible, terrible, far-reaching consequences that come from faithless thinking and worldly living. Lot didn't trust in the Lord, and he lived as closely to the world as he could. It seems he would have died clinging to it if it weren't for these angels. They dragged him and his family out of Sodom. It seems they couldn't get the Sodom out of their hearts. It's a lesson for us all. It's very possible for God's people to get very tangled up in love for this world and its ways. And in our day, the enticements of this world are just as strong as they ever were, if not stronger. But our need is the same as it has always been as God's people. We need to devote ourselves to God, and we need to live by faith in Him. We need to live in faithfulness to Him. Faith and faithfulness. We cannot be like Lot. He seemed to acknowledge the Lord in a a way, but he, he denied the Lord in practice. He didn't trust in Him, and he didn't obey Him. We need to be people who genuinely trust the Lord and seek to obey him. People who trust him and love him and know that he's faithful. And you cannot love God and love the world. As Jesus said, you're going to end up loving one and hating the other. We seem to see who Lot and his family loved more. May it be different with us. May the Lord work in us so that we will love him and trust in him. Love the Lord who first loved you, people, and trust in him with all your heart 
Lean not on your own understanding. Put to death love for the world before it puts you to death and ruins you. The last thing we see, though, here in this passage is actually uh, something encouraging. We see how God brought redemption out of this mess. There's not much actually said here about it in the text, but we need to understand that God did bring redemption out of this horrible mess that Lot and his daughters made. Out of Lot's disgrace in this situation comes God's redeeming grace. Moab and Ammon come into existence because of Lot's faithlessness and his worldliness. But God is going to work good out of that horrible evil. It's just like the Lord to do that, isn't it? God would one day weave a Moabite woman into his plan of redemption. Of course, that's Ruth. Ruth the Moabitess. She became the grandmother of David, King David. And more importantly, Jesus Christ comes from Ruth's line. So what that is, is a beautiful testimony to God's redeeming grace. Out of that ugly, horrible, nightmare of a situation, that horrible mess, God brings redemption. That should be a great comfort for us. What a comfort it is to know that God, our God is so great that he can overrule even the worst situations, even the ugliest sin, and bring amazing good out of it. Wonderful good. Now, that should not encourage us to sin, though, because the Lord doesn't take away the consequences of our sin. We see that here. There were lots of terrible consequences that God's people endured for a long time because of this sin. But God is so great that he can turn the worst evils into great blessings. We see that in Ruth. We see it above all in Jesus Christ. And not just that he came into the world through Ruth, but in his crucifixion. Never was such a horrible wrong and evil perpetrated as the one that was committed against him. The innocent Lord of glory, the Son of God, was betrayed and handed over to be crucified. And yet God turned that worst evil of all history into the greatest victory. And now we have this Savior who has died, not as a tragic victim, but he died by God's divine will and appointment. He died as our sin bearer. He died as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Of course, he also rose again, 
rose in victory. He didn't do all that so that we could go on living in sin and loving the world. He did it, and God brought this all about so that we might be redeemed and live by faith in him with his life in us, being transformed into his likeness, his character being formed in us, the fruit of the Spirit. Let's seek that life, that changed life, and that transformation into his image by God's grace. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for the sober warnings of your word. We thank you also for the wonderful encouragements of uh, your redeeming grace and how you bring wonderful good out of the worst uh, evils and things that we would just consider tragedies and, and horrible nightmares. You uh, transform those things into uh, beautiful, glorious outcomes. And we look to you to encourage our hearts in that way uh, with the trials and struggles of our lives as well. We know that uh, you are able uh, to work all things together for glorious good in the lives of your people and for your glory. And so we trust in you uh, to do that. We praise you for the Savior. We praise you for uh, your work of grace in our lives. We pray that you would use the word that we've heard uh, to sanctify us and do all your holy will in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.